I was going to call this message, Christians are strange. If you are a Christian, I'm going to remind you what you believe in this message, and it's strange, and that makes you strange as well. And if you're not a Christian, I'm going to tell you what Christians believe, and then I'm going to ask you to become one. Um, your friends might ask you on Monday, what do you do on the weekend? You can say, I sat with a group of people and read a chapter about a man being murdered. And then you can also say, and I thought it was good. And they'll say, you're strange. He's being murdered by Pontius Pilate, but this is where it gets deep. Every real Christian also say, will say, they have a hand in this death as well. So Christians worship someone who's been murdered. And not even that, doesn't stop there. The torture device on which this man was murdered, we tattoo on our bodies or hang around our necks or put them up in the car. Um, or the, is there one there? We put them on full display. Now that is strange. And, um, or you might have a painting in your house. So then they might say, okay, um, why is that special to you then? Why do you think this is a good chapter about this man who was murdered a long time ago? And then you're going to say, because he spoke when he was on that torture device, one Greek word, which has changed my life. That's what you'll tell them if you're a real Christian. Or you'll say, actually, it's three English words, and they've changed my life. We'll come to those words in a minute, because I just want to have a little run-up to why they have such an impact. Um, it's not just a man being murdered in John chapter 19. It's also God being at work that you just read about. God's love on full display. Christians often say this, God is love. What does that mean? Lots of people think God is there to be a divine vending machine, and I know that He loves me if He gives me lots of goodies and makes me comfortable all my life. The Christian will say, God is love, and it's most clearly seen in chapters like John chapter 19, when there's a man dying on a cross. And then lots of people turn away in, in disgust, and then they'll redefine what God's love looks like in their own way. When we say God is good, the true Christian means, if you really want to know what goodness is, think of Good Friday, where a man hangs butchered on a cross. So we also believe that the man's being murdered, but God's love is on full display here. And God has been at work getting to this moment for a long time. And now it's happening. And we love it. Do you know why? Because in these chapters, sin and death and darkness get destroyed. So we don't ever have to face them in their power and scariness. It's been a long time coming. Um, the Old Testament church were looking forward to this moment. I'm just going to reread verses 22 to 24. Um, Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. 
And when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and they divided them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the Scriptures might be fulfilled, which say they divided the clothes among them and they cast lots for my garment. God has been at work for a long time for this moment because that is a quotation, and if it was a quiz to keep you awake, I'd say, where from? And you wouldn't look down at the footnote in your Bible and cheat, would you? You'd say, Psalm 22, where we have a much greater insight as to what the man who's being murdered is going through, and it's a prophetic insight which is being fulfilled in this chapter. Here's Psalm 22. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. My bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them, and they cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. It's a difficult passage to read, isn't it? To see what sin is doing to God's Son. And it wasn't easy then, and it's not easy now. And verse 25 said, The mother of the man being murdered is there, watching So let's not sanitize what we believe. This is horrific and brutal. Any mothers here? Can you imagine seeing your son being butchered on a tree, stripped and battered in front of you? And even that, what the mother is going through, was prophesied in Luke chapter 2. Simeon blessed the baby and passed it back to his mother Mary and said, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and he will be a sign. And your sword, a sword, will pierce your own soul with this child. And here she is, pierced, watching her murdered son. Why? It's out of her hands now. By the way, just in passing, As we get to these three words, note the goodness of the Son of God. In verse 26 and 27, even on the cross, he's looking out for his mother. Where have all the good men gone? Was there ever really any? Have we ever really been good? There was one. When I was young, um, the girls in my life, like as in my sisters, I (laughs) I didn't have a string of girlfriends queuing up, as you can imagine. And they... I just remember this phrase being bandied around. Um, If you're going to marry a man, watch how he treats his mother. Then you'll know if he's good. I don't know if that's true. But here's one, even on his darkest moments, is looking out for his mother. And it's lost in English because here it says woman. That's a bit abrasive. But uh, I think the Greek is... I've got a dry mouth. Hune. And it's a lot more endearing than woman. Hune. C.S. Lewis said, Since it's so likely that children will meet cruel enemies, let them at least hear of a brave knight who had heroic courage. His name is Jesus. 
Don't forget to tell people about Jesus. He's wonderful. And this chapter shows us that he's really trustworthy. Look at him, look after his mother. And then it gets worse before we get to these three words. He gets thirsty. In verses 28 to 29, he calls out and says, I thirst. In the Old Testament church, they knew this was going to happen because they were looking forward to their Savior. And in Psalm 69, it says, they gave me gall for my meat. And in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Another prophecy from hundreds of years before being fulfilled in John chapter 19. By the way, if you're not a Christian, there's no historical figure who has as, as many fulfilled prophecies as the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's really worth thinking about that. And this is all moving because previously in the chapters, Jesus has said, I'm a fountain of water to help people who are thirsty. I'm living water. Come to me and you'll never thirst in your soul again. I'm all you need. And now John has him saying, I thirst. For the first time in eternal history, God's Son is running dry and He's stepping into the dusty realm of judgment. So sinners will never have to walk into the dusty realm of judgment. He's entering hell itself. He is them. And He's calling. I'm thirsty. I'm cut off from the heavens now. I'm going into darkness for people. And here's a quiz time, and we're almost there. There's a plant that's mentioned. It's the Passover plant. Without looking, do you remember what plant was read in John chapter 19 just then? The Passover plant. Hyssop. Back in Exodus, in the Passover, in chapter 12, they killed a lamb. They put the blood of the lamb around their door with a plant. Guess what plant it was? Hyssop. And now the lamb, the lamb, is being killed at Passover. And the very plant that they're using to mock him, as all the stories come into its crescendo, is hyssop. And all this is in place so that you and me and the people at home can hear and believe and trust these following words. The following words which are at the heart of the Christian faith. And this is why we love this chapter and we look so strange to people in the world. But these words are freeing and hopeful and victorious. And it's why we're not going to leave this room dull and without hope and whingy and unhappy or thinking, I need to impress God to get Him to like me more. And here's the words in verse 30. It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. These words answer all of life's big questions. There's people here today asking this question. How do I get right with God? What's the answer? In Jesus, it's finished. You can be. What do I do with all my guilt and all the wrong things I've ever done? If heaven is perfect, how am I going to get in? In Jesus, your guilt is finished. Will he ever have me back again? I've done that thing again. 
In Jesus, your distance is finished. Have I gone too far? In Jesus, your farness is finished. Come home. I've been left out my whole life. Is there room for me? In Jesus, everyone is welcome. Exclusion is finished. I haven't read my Bible for a few days. Does he love me? I've forgotten to pray. Jesus has earned all the good standing you ever need. It's yours if you want it. He says, rest in him. And this matters because everybody wants to be right with God. Right now, there's probably a man cutting himself to make himself bleed, to atone for something that he thinks needs atonement. There's a woman in a tribe offering her newborn baby to demons just so she feels right with some higher power. Someone somewhere in this country this morning is being confirmed in a church because we all want to be right with God. Someone's facing Mecca. Someone's doing a good deed for someone. Everybody wants to feel like they're right before God. And it matters here because there's a whole bunch of people in church across the country today gathering, pretending to be someone that they're not. We all look neat. We all smile. We look smooth sailing. And we're all religious. But underneath, there are people gathering in churches today drowning. So they're pretending. And they don't know where to turn with the real them. So they fake it. And these chapters show that the very worst of whatever they've done has been put on a device. And all is forgiven. It's been put on the Passover lamb. Your old you is finished. And you can rise now with Jesus. And we love these chapters. It's the heart of our faith. So your friend says, what did you do on the weekend? You say, well, I learned in a church that God's son was a 33-year-old Jew covered in spit and blood, stripped of his own possessions, his cloak. His back was pulped from flogging. His limbs were pinned to a piece of wood. His body was hoisted on the upright. An accusation of blasphemy and sedition was placarded above him. All of his followers scattered. The crowds hurled abuse at him. The sky went black and heaven went silent. And that's when he chose to utter these words that change my life forever. It is finished. A single Greek word, which means covered, satisfied, paid for. And I'm paid for. And I'm covered. And God is satisfied with me. And he calls me a son or a daughter now forever. Tetelestai. Finished. The best Greek word ever uttered. He doesn't say, I'm finished. He says, it is finished. And so I'm free. And to wrap up, I'll tell you two quick reasons why this matters. I watched a video last week, and a Christian man went around with a microphone interviewing people on the street. And he said, um, are you good enough for heaven? They all said yes. He said, right, have you ever blasphemed? The man said, 
yes. Said, do you love your mum? Man said, yes. Would you use her name as a curse word? No. But you'd use almighty gods? Yeah. Right, next question. Have you ever looked at someone and lusted after them? Yeah. Do you know Jesus said if you lust with your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart? Yeah. Have you ever told a lie? Last week, did you tell a lie? Yes. So let's just get clear then. By your own admission, one day you'll stand before God as a lying, blaspheming adulterer. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll tell you what a Christian will do. And it's the only thing that we can do. We remind on that great day, the courts of heaven, the one Greek word or the three English words that Jesus spoke on our behalf. It is finished. God has wrapped up my death, my pain, my curse around himself, and he puts it into the ground like a seed, and he cries, finished, and he rises again, and I'm born again with him. And this is the very last reason why it matters. And this is more for you, Christians. Now, be honest. How often do we assess our Christian walk with God like this? We rate our performance largely on how long we've gone between that big sin and when we did it last. So, I certainly do this. If I've gone 14 days without my big sin, I tell you what, God loves me now. Because I've got my holy tokens. Hey, I've gone 15 days without completely dropping the ball. I might join a rota in church because God loves me now. I might even go to the prayer meeting because I've got this many sin-free days. It's always the big sins because if we were counting the little ones, we can't even do a day. But the big ones, and now he loves me. You see, now I'm usable I'm a proper Christian. 16 days since the big one. You see, that means I've finished it. Not he's finished it. I've finished my sins. And what happens then when we do sin again? And we will. Ooh, it's bad. You know why it's bad? Not because we've hurt the God that loves me, but because I'm back to zero on my holy day count. And now I plummet and now I binge, and now I withdraw, and now I snap at people at home, and into my shell I go, and I can't offer myself in church life or be of any use to anyone for at least two weeks because I've got to negotiate with God again to get him to love me again. And if that's you, this is why it matters. And hear these words. It is finished. God loves you. And tomorrow, it'll be finished too. God loves you. You remember that. You walk in his light. As a child of God, it is finished, now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.